turn with me to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. I know sometimes it is our nature to when we see a familiar passage or a familiar story being preached about that we immediately jump to, oh, I've heard a message from this a thousand times in my life. I know which direction this is going to go. But I would challenge you that you would allow God to speak into your life in a unique way from a very familiar passage about the prodigal son. And you're going to see how God's going to tie in the Pentecost Sunday flavor of this story because in the end of it all, if we don't realize the responsibility that we have to be full of the Holy Spirit so we can reach the lost, then we have missed the whole message and the very reason why God sent his spirit so that we could be that church. So I challenge you, I... I'm going to focus on maybe an area of the prodigal son parable that maybe you have never seen focused on. So open your heart. I know that God is going to speak to us tonight. I, I want to look in verse 25 of Luke chapter 15. And it says, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house... He heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Well, there he's already lying. He thought he was all perfect and now he's lying. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead. And alive again, he was lost and is found. God, speak to us tonight. Open our hearts. God, as Pastor and I had lunch today, and we were talking about how we were raised in Pentecost, and Sunday nights, Lord, was that time of an incredible freedom and liberty just to go after you. I pray, God, tonight that this Sunday night would be memorable in our history as we look back on our life 
following you and seeking you. I pray that not one of us would walk out of here the same. I pray that something so supernatural would take place in our hearts that you would speak to us, you would challenge us, and you would take us to that deeper place. God, may we learn. May we may we receive everything that you have. May we never be that disgruntled person that the other brother was not taking full advantage of everything that the Father's house has for us. God, speak to us. May this be a special night because you are here. Holy Spirit, have your freedom. We invite you into this place. We open ourselves to you. And we give you glory, God, for this Incredible weekend, Lord, as we have been in your presence. Bless these people. Bless this church. Bless their families. Bless their marriages. Bless their finances. Bless their health. Bless their ministry. In Jesus' mighty name, we thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Um. I want to challenge, and this is this is a challenge that I think is to the body of Christ, and that is really, you know, the Sunday night crowd. I mean, you guys are faithful. You are committed. You're hungry. I, I want you to imagine for just a moment what this must have been like for the other brother to have been out toiling away for the father in the field and yet he didn't even know there was a celebration going on church may we never so become so ingrained with what we do for god that we miss out on the very thing that moves god because sometimes we miss out on the celebrations because we're so focused on, well, I got to do this, I got to do that. It's like running late to church and, and God has five different opportunities for you to minister to someone. I remember when I was in Bible college and I uh, went to a school in Waxahachie, Texas, but I went to church in uh, Oak Cliff, southern Dallas area, and I was rushing to church on one Wednesday night. I was running late. It's about a 30-minute drive. I, I was almost uh, out of gas, and all these things were going on, and there was a person standing on the street corner and he had a sign and he says, uh, need milk for baby, uh, need food for family, something along that line. And if you live in a metro area, especially in the South, it becomes almost commonplace and you sometimes become cynical about that. And I, I said, well, I'm not going to give him money. I, I never try to do that unless God specifically says, but I would go buy them something if they wanted a meal or needed some whatever. But I was, I was running late for church. I, I was in leadership. I, I served. I had a responsibility. It, it was not going to be good for me to be late. And, and all the while, God was like, wait, need you for ministry. Wait. Wait, I, I'm giving you an opportunity. And I'm like, but I'm late for church. So I sped away from that intersection. Only, see, this is, this is a very valuable lesson. I'm going to save you. Time, gas, frustration. Just do it the first time. Because when it catches up with you, 
as I got closer to pulling in the church parking lot, God was like, you know, I'd have just, you know, just sometimes God's just like, how many more things do I have to do to get your attention? And so what did I do? I, I was more late to church because I had to go all the way up, go to the next intersection, go to the other side, come back all the way down on the service road, go back and then tell the guy, come on, I want to buy you some milk and bread and stuff for your baby. And I think sometimes the, the, the problem that we have is we're so blessed with, with ministry and church in America that we have so many things going on sometimes under the responsibility of I'm living for God, I'm doing what God's called me to, and yet God's like, you've forgotten how to celebrate. You've forgotten even why you're doing this. You didn't even know your own brother that you have seen your mom and dad weep and cry for and pray and wonder if he was dead or alive. He's already come home. They're already starting the party and you didn't even know any of it. Church, may God break us once again in a fresh new way for the lost. The tendency sometimes is to become very spiritual when we look at other people when they don't have it all together. You know what? The, I, I'm 48 years old. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm a year and a half from being 50. And, and just to be honest, that's kind of the first age that's kind of freaking me out a little bit because I just don't feel like I'm getting ready to be 50. I, I don't think I should be old enough to have a 21-year-old daughter. My daughter's getting ready to turn 21 in July. And, and I'm like, God, you know, <laughs> there's some major things about this. Now, my body tells me I'm 80, okay? I, I'm convinced of that. But uh, it, it's one of the those situations that we have to step back and we have to say to ourselves, okay, why are we doing this? What are we doing? Why are, why are we in this? God is wanting to speak to us through this most incredible, amazing parable that he was trying to communicate something is there's always two sons and both need the father. It's easy to become judgmental like the other brother, the prodigal son's brother, was out in the field and never never turned his back on his father, never went out into the world and always was just hardworking. And sometimes it's easy to say, God, I've never missed church. I haven't missed church in 25 years. I've given my tithes. I've given to missions. I've, I, I've served in this capacity, in this capacity, in this capacity. And I just serve you and I love you and I, I'm committed to you. But I just don't understand why we have to do that. Because they should just know better. My brother should have known better. Can you believe what he's doing out there? Spent all his money on drugs and prostitutes and the world. And, and now he comes home and bless God. Dad just open arms and let's throw a party. Jesus was just telling this story. You know who the father is, right? It's God. It's God. And if you have an image of who God is... That he is a loving, caring, quick to forgive, quick to love, quick to embrace, quick to open his arms to you. Because what he cares about is that you come home. 
you see, so many times the world paints a picture of God that he's this big, judgmental, condemning, angry God that's ready to strike you down. But in reality, this God was represented, our God is represented in this story by this prodigal son's father. You know what the father did every day? It says every day he came out of his house. He was a man of great wealth and influence. He could have had done anything. That had He could have said, well, that's God. If, if you want to walk out of this house, boy, then you better never come back through that door. If you leave, last time. I grew up in that generation. There was a lot of dads. I'm a dad. I can say this. There's a lot of dads. That said that to their child. This will be the last time you ever do this. You will never hurt your mom and me ever again. If you choose to walk out, don't you ever come back. That will never be our God. That will never be our Father. And you have to understand that the heart of God is what's got to be our heart. And the incredible thing about the prodigal son is there was... This incredible love and compassion that was illustrated by the father because the son had gotten to the plate that he was like, I need to be in my father's house. I, I, I cannot live like this. this. I should not live in a pig pen. This is not good. So he started back. But you have to understand is he was unrecognizable from the guy that left the house. He lived in a pig pen. He had no money. He was, he, was, he was as homeless as homeless can be. I mean, his clothes were ripped. He smelled so bad because he was living with the pigs. He, he was skinny. He was strung out. He, he, his hair was all matted, beard unkept, teeth rotten out. I mean, this guy was so scary. When he walked down the street, moms are grabbing their kids and going inside the house. Somebody's calling police, and, and, and all this is going on. What's it say about the father? When he was a long way off. That's my boy. That's my boy. This is the day I prayed for. This is the day that my mom and my, my, my wife and, and, and we have knelt every night to pray that our boy would come home. But, but don't you see, Dad, what everybody else sees? This, this guy that's strung out on drugs, lived his life with prostitutes, tried everything in the world, spent all the money, did everything wrong that he could possibly do to hurt you, and yet all you see is your little boy coming back home. What is going on with you? Church, if we could truly be began to capture the heart of God, then we would look at the lost in a different way. We would embrace them. Look what he did. He ran to him. He ran to him. I mean, this guy was covered in pig slop, and the dad just grabbed a hold of him. This is important. You know what the dad did? He's not had a shower. He hasn't went to the barber. He hasn't changed his clothes. He hasn't went through a 12-step process. And you know what the dad did? He couldn't do it fast enough. He says, I got to get the family ring on this boy. I want everybody to know this is my son. You see, a lot of people in the church think, in order for you to come in here, you're going to have to clean up out there. 
But the shower is in here. The soap, the shampoo is in here. And it's not a bad thing. You see, when you're dirty and you realize it and you stink and, and all these things, you, you want to be clean. Are you in this church? That, that the father, I don't care who, I'm going to walk all the way back through town because he had to run to him a long ways off. I'm going to walk by everybody's house and I'm going to be beaming and I'm going to be crying and I'm going to be the proudest dad and I'm going to make sure that everybody sees that the family ring is on this boy's finger and he may look like a, a, a homeless person. He look, may look like the worst person on the face of the earth. But there is no person that's ever going to be prouder of this moment than this daddy. And I'm going to walk all the way back through town. And as soon as I get close enough, I'm going to start shouting to the house. Start planning the party. Start planning. Everybody get ready. Everybody get a celebration like you have never experienced before. I mean, you go out and you get the biggest cow that I have in the farm. I mean, you get the best of the best because tonight we're going to celebrate. And all the while this is all going on, the other brother is nowhere in the mix. Do you realize that we can be so distracted from doing ministry and doing church that we miss out on the very heart of what God is doing and wants to do? Because the reality is, is the other brother should have been running along with the father to embrace his brother. I... uh, I had a chance to minister in the country of Romania several times. The area that we minister in is the Transylvania Alps region. It's about a five-hour drive from Bucharest to Sibiu. The area, all the kids, this will grab, you know, do you see that? The movies of Transylvania, uh, you know, the, the cartoon and and, you know, Dracula and, well, Transylvania area of Romania, that's where Dracula is from. Now, he's not really Dracula. His name is Vlad Dracul. Dracul. Vlad Dracul is one of the main, the most historic, amazing leaders of the country of Romania. There was really a leader, Hollywood, Because of the way he dealt with the enemy, the Turks, the Turks would try to invade Romania. And so Vlad Dracul would deal with them in a very bloody and vicious way. He would impale them alive in sticks and put them in the yard of the area in front of his palaces. So it became known as a very bloody ruler but he wasn't bloody against his own people he was bloody for them and so he has become one of the most famous well-loved leaders in their history and in fact in their schools obviously there's no photo of him because this was back in like the i think 1600s i could have that wrong but they have drawings of him in every school in romania And we got to go to one of his castles in the Transylvania area and experience 
amazing history. But in this, in this country, Romania, the people that are treated the worst are the gypsies. The gypsies are the ones that are taught and trained from the very start of their life as children to be pickpockets and petty thievery and these kinds of things. So the prisons are full of gypsies and gypsies are treated very, very badly. In fact, a lot of times they're not ministered to. But we went in there and we were determined to minister to the gypsies. Well, it turns out that there's a king of the gypsies. He lives there in Sibiu, Romania. He is literally has ambassador status with the country of Romania. He has, <laughs> I always just, I didn't know these cars really existed, but he had one of those cars. You know, you always see in the movies that, that has the flag sticking on the front side of both sides of the front of the car. It literally, he has ambassador status with the government of Romania and deals with governments around the world, but he's the king of the gypsies. And God saved him. So with his wealth, he began to build a church and a Bible school there in Sibiu, Romania, where we were ministering. And when he found out that we were there to minister to the gypsies, he was so uh, blessed by that that he invited us to his house for a meal and to celebrate what God has been doing. And so I was just thinking about that when the scripture of the brother that he's coming in from the fields and he starts smelling, come on, grilled beef has a distinct smell, right? It draws you in, okay, right? It's a good thing, right? The brother says, wait a minute, I'm, I'm hearing singing and dancing and it's Tuesday night, okay? This is not normal. What, what's going on here? I'm smelling something really good. I'm smelling steak, okay? I, I'm, I'm smelling some hamburgers grilling, okay? Something's going on and I have no clue because I've been out there working really hard and, and I, it, it, it literally took me to this night that we got honored at the King of the Gypsies' house. What they do to honor in their culture Whoever is the, the most uh, prestigious, honored guest, then you get a special treat. <laughs> In their mind, it's a special treat. wasn't special to me, but thankfully I wasn't. I was just a part of the team. I wasn't leading this team, so another person got this privilege because what they did was they killed a pig for us that night to cook and it was the most incredible pork chops I've ever had in my life it was as fresh of a pork chop as you have ever had and what they do to honor you is you get to eat the pig's ear I don't really understand chewing on cartilage I don't even know if you can swallow I don't know but um, it there there was literally blood stained area of the ground outside the house of the king of the gypsies where they killed the pig and I learned something very valuable about being on a missions trip and I can help you one day if you ever find yourself in the same situation number one eat slowly I'm not kidding you 
I was so hungry, and it was the most amazing pork chops and mashed potatoes I've ever had in my life that I was just telling them, this is amazing. This is the best I've ever had, and I just kept eating. Well, I, every time I would finish my plate, another plate would miraculously appear. After the third plate of the most amazing pork chops and mashed potatoes, my belly is past the point of intaking anything else. And I was a slow learner, okay? Uh, so be careful with your compliments and eat slowly, okay? Now the story gets better because now after the meal, he's going to walk us down the street to the other end of the street where he is building the church for the gypsies and the Bible school. So in the gypsy culture, when you walk by their house and you're the king of the gypsies and he has guests with him, then you can't walk by another gypsy's house without them inviting you in. And if they invite you in their house and you are a guest, they must feed you. I'm pretty sure I gained 20 pounds in one day. It was, it was so genuine and sincere but we were all going are you giving are you kidding me like we just finished me personally three plates of pork chops and mashed potatoes and literally we walk a few steps it's not like we walked 10 miles and i worked some of it off no literally literally we sat down in three more houses everyone we come in the table is empty and miraculously, in five minutes, everything out of the fridge, out of the pantries, everything's on the table. Eat! Did you not tell him you just fed us, king? What part of this? But I'm reminded of what that must have meant to this hungry brother. He was like, I- I'm smelling this. And then they tell the brother, well, are you kidding me? You, you, you haven't heard? Your brother's home. We're having a celebration, a party. And then that was the moment. That was the key. Church, your church has been blessed with these amount of seats. You know what that tells me? There is someone's name in this area that is for that seat. May we not rest until every seat is filled And when that takes place, then you can go to another service and and you can continue to reach another group of people because I can assure you, no matter how many churches are in the area, there are always more people to be reached. And we must understand we can bang our heads up against the wall doing ministry, 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 and yet never see people saved. And that's not the heart of God. The Father's house is for people to come. And it's not just perfect people. It's not just religious people. It's not just people that know how to act. This is why I believe that God wanted to speak this message to us on Pentecost Sunday. is because of this part right here in which the other brother became angry and he refused to go in. He said to his father, now, 
Before I get to this, this is so important. This is what God showed me. The father had to leave his house for both sons. And he was willing to do that. See, we always focus on the prodigal son. And we understand why he went outside the house. But the reality is, as an evangelist for the last 22 years, as I crisscross this nation and I come into church after church, some of the most divisive, discouraging, backstabbing, lying, conniving people can be in the church. We're same team. This is not competition. If we are not bearing the fruits of the Spirit, then we need to look at ourselves. And I'm so thankful I can tell this is not that church. Pastor has not told me that. He hasn't said anything like that. He talks nothing but good about you. And I can sense that this is a united church. But may you understand that it is the enemy's strategy to bring people like that in. And it doesn't take long for cancer to take over. May you never allow someone to divide you and to divide you against one another and it become about trivial things but may we be reminded why we have the father's house in the first place it's for those that are lost it's for those that have already come home but also those that haven't come home yet that's why we exist the father we understand why he had to leave the house to go after his prodigal son but he had to take time out of celebrating to go deal with a squabble of someone that should know better but he was willing to do that for both this is what the brother said look he is angry he was mad All these years, I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat. The son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home and you kill the fattened calf. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Church, that is Pentecost Sunday material. Because there's so many people sitting in the church today and we're not enjoying the benefits of all that the Father's house has. Do you know, just a couple of weeks ago, I was speaking a revival in western Oklahoma. My mom and dad still live there. You know what my mom still does? I am 48 years old. I have my own house. I have been around the world. But do you know what my mother does every time I'm going to come to her house? She calls me, says, son, or she texts me. What do you want? What do you want me to fix? What are all the favorites that you love your mom was cooking you let me know. I mean, she wants to know what breakfast I want, what lunch I want, what I mean the moment I walked in. It doesn't matter. If I am 
bent over, using a cane and have all gray hair. It will always be coming home to mom and dad's house. And it will always feel loving and caring. And it will always be something that I am comfortable in. And I don't have to go up and ask. I don't have to wonder where something is because it's the house I grew up in. Oh man, the, 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 the one I told you about last night, our best friends, that she has been diagnosed with breast cancer and she's, she, she just starting the process of chemo and all this stuff. So we are auntie and uncle to their little kids, two-year-old Gray and five-year-old Eden. And so now, never before has there been a situation until now with all the surgeries. She's had two surgeries. She's starting her cancer. We her parents live in the area, and then it's auntie and uncle. They have tons of friends. We have lots and lots of people that they know, but sh- they trust us. And so auntie and uncle have been taking care of Gray and Eden a lot, and you couldn't have blessed me anymore. Gray is two years old. He's a little boy, two years old. He loves his uncle, and the first time that they came to our house and I could not believe what he did. It blessed my heart. I mean, I was standing there as proud as any dad would have been because what Gray did at two years old, he knew this was a place that he could have whatever we have. So he walked over in true boy fashion right to the front of the refrigerator. He grabbed it with his little pudgy hand. He grabbed the handle and he yanked it open with authority. And he was looking in the fridge. What? can I have that was not a moment that an uncle says what are you doing kid I just fed you at McDonald's that wasn't kid this ain't your house no I was agging him on I'm like babe come here look what great just did this is amazing he got it you know what God wants to he wants us to get it This ain't about what somebody's going to do for me or what I've done or how many long years I've toiled in the field. It's about walking in daddy's house, walking up to the refrigerator and say, oh, you're offering the Holy Spirit? Then I want the Holy Spirit. I want everything that you have, God. I can't paint a better picture than that two-year-old little boy walking into his aunt and uncle's house that's not really his aunt and uncle. And he knew enough inside of him to say, you know what? I'm going to the fridge. That's where all the good stuff is. I'm going to walk and I'm going to start partaking of being in this house because there's a whole lot of love. Do you know how much love God has for us? And one of the most amazing, loving, caring gifts that he ever gave us was his spirit's. May we never be ashamed of His Spirit. May we never believe a, a dis, uh, disoriented, uh, a, a divided church world out there in many ways. They are afraid of the Holy Spirit. They are afraid that the Holy Spirit is going to offend someone. Well, let me tell you this. It is God's Spirit. And why would He ever have something in Him that is a part of who He is that pushes people away from Him? No, it's the exact opposite. The Holy Spirit draws us to Him. To Him. You you couldn't have disappointed any father more. He, he, He expected it from the prodigal son. Oh, I know why. There's all 
the marks on your arm because you've been shooting up. I know why you're just worn down to skin and bones. Your eyes are hollow. I can expect that because you haven't been in the Father's house. But what I don't understand, son, is you've lived in this house every day for your entire life, and you missed it. You missed it. Are you kidding me? How can you live in this house and not have ever walked up to the fridge? What God is wanting to give us the power of the Holy Spirit. You ever need wisdom? You ever need knowledge? Ever wonder about a situation? You just need the discerning of spirits? Ever need a miracle? Ever need healing? Ever want to hear a prophecy? Ever want God just to speak to us and then interpret it and just make it applicable to our lives? But it's so much more than just the gifts. It's the power. It's the confidence. You can be Peter and walk on water with Jesus and live with him for three and a half years. The original Master's Commission discipleship program, the number one perfect discipleship program in history and yet still on the night that you graduate you're around a little campfire and the lowliest of the low comes up to you and asks you a simple question are you a christian are you a friend of jesus and you get so angry and you deny it and you cuss them out and then you cut someone's ear off and you wonder what is missing you can be a part of the original 12 disciples and yet Jesus said don't you dare try to go live your life and fulfill the calling in your life until you get up to the refrigerator and get open and say Holy Spirit feel me feel me you know there will be times in your life that it won't be an option. One time my wife and I were flying from Washington, D.C. to Sao Paulo, Brazil. Ten and a half hour flight. We're on a United flight, Boeing 767. It's 4.30 in the morning. Everybody's asleep. It's dark. We've been flying for hours. We still have four more hours. And then everybody gets woken up by the pilot saying this exact thing. We are over the Amazon forest. It is 4.30 in the morning, and this is what we hear. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is your pilot, and we're going to have to make an unscheduled stop. We're going to have to land in Macapá, Brazil, because we are running low on fuel. I don't know if you fly a lot. But someone that's flown around three million miles, they always put enough fuel to get where you're going. Because there are no shell stations at 35,000 feet. You get it? 
So when he said that, I turned to my wife and I said, babe, he's not telling us something. We're making an emergency landing and I don't know why, but it would be a really good time to pray. We landed without incident and we would not know what happened until we landed and one of the flight crew went out on the tarmac took a picture on their cell phone, then came back on the plane and started passing it around because we were stuck there for several hours. The Boeing 767 has an engine on the left wing and one on the right wing. We lost our engine on the right wing. Not as in it stopped working, as in fell off the plane over the Amazon forest somewhere there is a village that still is worshiping the flaming object that came down one night and squashed grandma's hut but it's just a Boeing 767 United Airlines engine that killed grandma At 35,000 feet, it's not a good thing to not know that you have access to pray in a supernatural way. If you call me, feel free. But if your name is not in my contact list and it does not pop up as a name and it's just a number... First time, you'll have to leave me a message because I get a ton of crazy calls invariably from companies that think if they have the first six digits of my cell phone that I will answer. Why do they think that works? There ain't a person in my family. My wife doesn't even have the first same six digits. And so all the time I get calls, if you will leave a message, I will call you back. I was transferring with... Uh, in between flights, I was in Chicago Air Airport last year, and I'd already received a voicemail from this lady. So when her name, her number came up, I answered, and this is what she said. She said, "Ron, um, she said we were at that church you spoke at last Sunday. We do not attend there. We were visiting, but I just have to ask you this question." <clears throat> Did the pastor tell you we were there and did he tell you what we've been going through? Because there's just no way that you didn't know that we were there and you didn't know what we were going through because the message you preached was so on target for what we're going through, you had to know. Can I just tell you a little bit about the gift of the evangelist? The gift of the evangelist, all the gifts are needed by the church. The Bible tells us that in order to have a healthy church, we need all the fivefold ministry gifts to the church. Amen? The gift of the evangelist is your pastor loves you to death. He weeps for you. He cries for you. He walks every day with your lives. He knows the good times, the bad times. 
So when he gets up here and he has prayed and heard from God, sometimes it is our tendency because we know our pastors love us that when they get up and they preach a message that particularly speaks to us because of what we're going through, sometimes we try to discount that in a way is, oh, my pastor loves me so much that he dedicated this entire message just for me. Now, as much as he does love you and no doubt knows what you're going through, that was God speaking through the gift of the pastor. But when an evangelist comes in, and I have no clue, no disrespect, don't know who you are or what you're going through, and then... I get up and say the exact same thing that your pastor has been spending on a five-week series. For the first time, you're like, oh, that must be God. And the pastor's like, ah, do you know what I poured into this? No, no. We all come together. We, we complement each other. We're not in competition with each other. We complement each other. So I had to tell this lady on the phone, ma'am, I don't know who you are, and I don't know what you're going through. She proceeded to tell me the story. She said, six months ago, I have two younger children, and this is, pastor, just get ready, pastor may stand up and shout and do a little dance really quick when I tell you the first part of this. So just warning, okay? I'm going to give pastor plenty of room to have all the chance uh, the first part of the story is the mother says, we don't go to that church. But the reason why we came back is we were there the week before. But my children, I have two younger children and then I have a 19-year-old daughter. She said, my two younger children that were in children's church, they so loved one song that they sang in children's church the week before that all week long they begged me take us back to that place take us back to that church if you ever think that the role and the responsibility and what God is using you in, I don't care if you hold open the door every Sunday. I don't care if you get here early and make the coffee. I don't care if you pick up the donuts, if you hang out with the kids every week, you play an instrument, you pray an intercessor, you're helping in one area or the other. Don't you ever underestimate the role that God is going to use because it was one song in children's church on a Sunday morning that got a whole family back amen she said six months before this she said my daughter was so depressed that the enemy convinced her kill yourself but she wasn't going to do it in the normal way She called the cops. She called 911. She waited until two officers responded. In the area that they lived, this was all documented on all the local news stations. She said, my daughter waited until the two police officers got there. 
Then she pulled out the gun, stuck it to her head, and pulled the trigger. And it did go off, and it did shoot her, and it did go into her brain and took off the front lobe of her brain. She said, this was being filmed, but when that happened, I don't remember if it was one of those uh, body cams or if it was a cell phone, but when she shot and she obviously fell to the ground, one of the officers that was recording this, either the video portion got blocked or a phone dropped, but the audio kept recording. And what you hear in this audio is this. She is laying there on the ground with a massive gunshot wound to the brain. Obviously, there's blood. There's this 19-year-old laying there completely, probably motionless. And one of the officers gets down there and tries to do everything he can to save her. The other officer says, what are you doing? He said, what are you doing? She ain't going to live. Why did you send out the emergency call for an ambulance to respond? There is no reason for them to hurry. She ain't going to make it. He said, I was a soldier on the front lines. I've seen this kind of injury. You don't survive this kind of injury. The officer that was trying to take care of her said to his partner, I checked. There's a heartbeat. And as long as there is a heartbeat, I'm not going to stop. And as soon as the EMTs got there, they started doing what they do. Then they took her to the hospital. And then the surgeons started doing what they do. And can I tell you, that Sunday that I spoke at that church, six months after that took place, not only did the mother and her two younger kids come to that church, but her 19-year-old daughter walked in. She is alive today. She is not a quadriplegic. She is not in a vegetable state. She is able to talk and see and, and, and be able to understand, and I got to meet her. So what that mother was saying and what God is saying is we got to be a church that starts believing in the supernatural power of God to take a situation that it looks like to everybody else, just like the prodigal son it looked like somebody that everybody should write off but god says i checked and there's still a heartbeat you see as long as they are alive church we have a responsibility to jump in there with the power of the holy spirit and to see people's lives come back that is our role that is our responsibility God's got a refrigerator, and it's packed full. There ain't a bad thing in there. I mean anything and everything that you desire and you want. Everything good God has, and he wants to do that in our lives. Come on, everybody, stand with me if you would, please. Father, we open our hearts to you. We thank you that you are here today, and no matter how, Lord, devastated we are by life, we know that you have the fullness of your Holy Spirit and your power of your Holy Spirit that will literally change our life. It will transform us. God, may we not be the brother of the prodigal son that toils away every day. That gets lost in the ritual of serving you 
that we forget all about what it's about. God, when's the last time we celebrated? When's the last time the family ring was pulled off a finger and put on another finger? When's the last time, God, that the fattened calf was killed? God, there's too many baptistries that have been too dry for way too long in America. God, there's way too many empty seats, oh God. There's way too many people, Lord, that have lost sight of what we are called to do. And and God, it all comes back to Your Spirit that He gives us the confidence. He gives us the boldness. He gives us the power. He gives us the compassion. He equips us. He anoints us to where we can have a discerning of spirits. We can understand. We can have the wisdom that we need. The knowledge that we need. The miracles that we need. The healings that we need. God, the church is filled with disease and pain. And God if we will understand and recognize that through the power of the Holy Spirit, You have given us something that is so supernatural and so special. God, may we have that image of a two-year-old little boy spending the night with his auntie and uncle. That he understood more than people that have lived in the house of God for 50 years. We've lost that excitement. We've lost that passion. We've lost that desire. God, awaken the body of Christ in America that we understand why we toil in the fields. That we understand why we come together so we can have buildings like this that can minister, celebrate recovery. God, a place that people can come and find You. They can find their purpose. They can find their forgiveness. They can find their God. They can find their Creator. God, tonight I pray May we examine our own lives. God, what have I been so consumed with that I've been missing out that You have for me? God, there are areas in every one of our lives that we become ritualistic. We become so consumed with doing our task that we've forgotten even what it means to celebrate someone coming home. I want everybody just to look up here for just a second. Don't underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit to do what sometimes we think is our role. This is what God showed me. This is where the accountability of the Father's house comes. When that prodigal son sat down there that night at the table that was prepared for him, All of a sudden, he began to look around the table. 
He was like, oh, wow. She's got a beautiful smile. She's adorned with the glory of God. So I was like, oh, man. He put on his best. He came. See, when you come to a party, go shower and put on nice clean clothes and get your hair done or trim your beard. You smell good. You look good. You cleaned your car. Because you're going to the party. And you see, there's something about being the honored guest that is the accountability of what happens in the body of Christ. You see, when you've lived in a pig pen, and then all of a sudden you're the honored guest of the party, and you sit down and you look around the table and you're like, all of a sudden, the rags of his past, the smell and the stench of living in the pig pen of life, I don't want to smell like this anymore. I don't want to look like this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. You know what? I want to go take a shower. I want to put some new clothes on. I want to shave. I want to brush my teeth. You see, so many times we think it's our job to be the Holy Spirit. So get cleaned up out there, and then when you're ready, you come in here. But God showed us, Jesus showed us, in telling us this story, that it's the opposite way that sometimes we've gotten confused And as a result, they never come in because they'll never come in living the way they have in the world if they think that before they can come in, they got to be a certain way or look a certain way. You see, that's the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives that we showed up for a party. Do you understand what that means? We gave our tithes and offerings so there is a building and there is electricity and there is air conditioning and there are seats and there is a pastor and there is a staff and they're all of this because we were waiting for you to come because we knew you and we loved you and we know you've lived a hard life and we know you've been a drug addict and we know you've been a prostitute and we know you've been into all kinds of immorality and living in the world but the greatest thing is we know you don't know our lord and our savior and you've been away and so that's what sundays that's what services are all about is having a party and celebrating and giving the chance for someone to come in here and say this is what i've been missing Can we fill this altar right now? Every one of us be challenged in a way to say, God, I want everything you're offering. I want the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I want the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to be that one that takes full advantage of everything. Can we do that for them? Can we do that for your neighbor, your son, your daughter, your coworker, your fellow student, the person who lives down the street? Can we do that for our brothers and sisters that haven't come home yet? Can we grab a hold of the fullness of what God is offering?
Come on, everybody that wants to do that. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Fill this altar right now. Come on, church. Come on. You want the fullness of the power of God in your life so much that when we provide the opportunity of being Christians and having a church, that we literally get in a place that our focus is different, our our goal is different, our, our drive is different, everything that motivates us is different. It's not about the years that we toiled out in the field. It's about that my brother, my sister has come home. Can we get into that environment that we say, God, speak into my life, pour into my life, fill my life right now. Can we become so broken for those that have yet to come that we provide an environment for them to come in and receive the fullness of God. Can we seek after the Holy Spirit? Come on. God wants you to have the fullness of the Holy Spirit in your life. And so now we need to open ourselves to that. That power of the Holy Spirit that helps us to overcome temptation. That says no to immorality. That gives us the ability and the strength to stand up and reach our world. Come on, let's go after God. Come on, let this personal moment with you and God be such an intimate time that you begin to weep for the brothers and sisters that have not come home. But it is our responsibility to get so full and overflowing of the Holy Spirit that we are the church. We are the body of Christ.